Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues. We're joined again live in the studio today by Bill Federer, one of the most articulate Christian historians that I know in America, has written up to 20 books, and we're gonna talk about one today, Prayers and Presidents, stay tuned. Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps. God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. Today we are joined again live in the studio for part two of our exciting interview with historian Bill Federer, one of the most articulate Christian historians that I know. Bill, welcome back to the program. Dr. Chaps, great to be with you. So on yesterday's show, we talked about three of the 20 books that you've written, including uh, God and Country, a, a book of <clears throat> quotations about American history. Today, we're gonna talk about prayers and presidents. I assume uh, maybe even there might be some Democrat presidents who said prayers from time to time. What was your interest in writing this book? Well, I decided to read all the messages and papers of the presidents. That's every address by every past president. And I was amazed at their references to God, days of prayer, days of thanksgiving, days of fasting. Lo and behold, that tradition goes all the way back to the colonial era, when colonies would have their colonial legislatures designate days of fasting. Like Connecticut, it would often be Good Friday. In Virginia, in 1668, they passed a day of fasting. And they said, if any person should be found gaming or working on that day, they would be fined 100 pounds of tobacco. I just think that's sort of funny. <laughs> but anyway, during the Revolutionary War, the Continental Congress declared days of fasting, and George Washington ordered his troops to observe the days of fasting. Washington becomes the president. He has days of prayer and thanksgiving. The attitude back then was, when things were bad, you would have days of prayer. When things were real bad, you would have days of fasting and prayer. And when things turned around, you would have days of thanksgiving. And so it was this personal relationship. They were not deists because deists believe God wound up the clock and left. He put the laws of nature in place and then just sort of left. And so why pray? Because you can't intervene. But no, our founders believe that if you prayed, God would intervene. And so John Adams had two days of fasting and prayer during a threatened war with France in 1798 and 1799. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, when he was in the Virginia legislature, he drafted a day of fasting that was introduced into the Virginia legislature by Robert Nicholas Carter, and it passed unanimously, so that Virginia had a day of fasting at the same time that the British blockaded Boston's harbor. Now, wait a minute, this is Thomas Jefferson you're talking about. I mean, the atheists today blame him for, you know, the letter of the Danbury Baptist, separation of church and state, but he was a man who called for public prayer. Right, and then when he was governor of Virginia in 1779, he had a day of thanksgiving and prayer, and he said that the gospel of Jesus Christ would spread around the, the world. Um, so it's interesting. Jefferson's life went through four stages. First, he was an Anglican. Why? Because you could not hold public office in Virginia during the colonial era unless you took the oath of supremacy, acknowledging the king as the head of the church. So all of the founders, Madison, Jefferson, you know, Washington, they were all faithful Anglicans. Second stage of Jefferson's life is he was a friend of the dissenter. So here's the scenario. You're going to an Anglican church, and most of the pastors defended the head of the church, the king. You go outside of the church, you pick up a gun and fight the king. 
It's like as the colonies began to win, people began to filter out of the, the established church and go to the dissenting churches. So during this time, Jefferson was the champion for the Baptists and Methodists. He actually started a church. I think Jefferson started a church. Yes, the Calvinistical Reformed Church in 1777. He wrote the bylaws for it. And uh, it met in the Albemarle County Courthouse in Charlottesville, Virginia. And Charles Clay, an evangelical, was the pastor. Third stage of his life, his wife dies. Three of his five kids die. He drops out of politics. Congress tries to get him to snap out of it. They get him to be ambassador to France. And France is going through its deistic period before its bloody French Revolution. Sure enough, after this, Jefferson leans more in a deistic period. I mean, imagine somebody's wife and kids die and you surround him with a bunch of deists. So he's a Francophile. He loves the French. And um, uh, so he'll say, you know, things like, oh, if there's one God or 20 gods, what difference does it make, you know? But then in his final stage, Jefferson centers back out as a liberal Anglican. He never left the Anglican church. He was baptized, married, and buried in the Anglican church. And so during this time, he's writing letters to John Adams, especially when Adams' wife, Abigail, dies. And he says, we'll see her again in heaven when God will wipe away every tear and we'll be reunited with our loved ones. And so he's considered a conservative Unitarian or a liberal Anglican, but nevertheless, you can have Jefferson say whatever you want. You just pick what era of his life you're quoting from. You know, I'm so thankful to have someone, you could talk all day just about Jefferson, I'm sure, but the book it highlights many other presidents. Me, mention briefly, and we only have a couple minutes until the break, uh, people like Abraham Lincoln or FDR or Truman. Right, Lincoln had a day of fasting and prayer in April 30th of 1863. Uh, two days later, so ironically enough, the South shot their own best general. Stonewall Jackson shot by his own men. And every historian admits that if Stonewall Jackson had been to Gettysburg two months later, the South probably would have won. But nevertheless, it was just two days after this day of prayer that Lincoln did. Um, Lincoln said, we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand that preserved us in peace. And intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too proud to pray to the God that made us. You mentioned uh, Woodrow Wilson had a day of fasting and prayer in 1918 when we entered World War I. Democrat president, having a day of fasting. Woodrow Wilson gave out New Testaments and Book of Psalms to all the soldiers in World War I. Uh, also, um, Teddy Roosevelt uh, wrote the foreword to one and uh, General Pershing. And then FDR, uh, he was a uh, Democrat president 70 years ago. He gave out Gideon's New Testaments and Book of Psalms to all the soldiers in World War II. He wrote the foreword. It says, as commander-in-chief, I take pleasure in commending the reading of the Bible to all who serve in the armed forces. Then Truman, a Democrat president, issues an annual day of prayer. Reagan made it the first Thursday in May. And even uh, you had uh, John F. Kennedy had days of Thanksgiving, and then you had uh, Nixon had a day of prayer when Apollo 13 was lost in space. I thought it was interesting. In 1955, Republican President Eisenhower, who had gotten the most votes ever of any candidate up to that point, Eisenhower had a Back to God program with the American Legion. Could you imagine that? And so here is the um, uh, President Eisenhower saying, as Commander-in-Chief, I take... Um, pleasure. Um, I'm sorry. He said, um, as a former soldier, I'm delighted our veterans are sponsoring a movement to increase our awareness of God. In battle, they learned a great truth that there are no atheists in the foxholes. And Eisenhower went on to say, recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. Here's a president in, you know, the 1950s saying, recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. This is wonderful. Uh, basically, the point is, most of our presidents, if not all of them, have been Christian. 
Right, yeah. And even the ones that are quote-unquote Unitarian, Unitarianism went through two phases. Originally, it was just a broadened Judeo-Christian type of belief that everybody eventually universally would go to heaven. Right? Trinitarians, Unitarians. And Abigail Adams called herself a Unitarian. She said that she still believed that Jesus was divine and still the Son of God. She just didn't believe he was equal to God. And so back then, a Unitarian was still within the pale, so to speak, of the Judeo-Christian belief. Since then, it's gotten uh, very distant. You know, and people like uh, President Barack Obama, he comes from a sort of a universalist church out of Chicago, Reverend Jeremiah Wright, and many of his policies, yet we have to criticize them because they seem to promote Islam. But he, nominally, he is still a Christian. And, and can you say that the Democratic Party now, at, at the last convention, when they booed the idea of adding God into their platform, that maybe they've forgotten some of their heritage, even the Democrat presidents uh, admitted we came from that kind of tradition. Right, I mean, here you had Harry S. Truman uh, pushing, th enacting the UN, right? The United Nations came into being during the time of Harry S. Truman. And he had it in there as a Democrat party plank that America would support Israel. And here you have that the uh, party of the president uh, seems to be distancing themselves from this uh, platform that Democrat President Harry S. Truman was so proud of. We're gonna take a short break and when we come back, our, the next part of our interview with Bill Federer, he has a website and a daily email alert, visit AmericanMinute.com and we'll be right back with more after this short break. Discerning the spirits that rule our politicians, Dr. Chaps will be right back. Do you care about defending religious liberty? I know you do. And that's why I'm asking you to take action today. Don't just sit there, but do something. Visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org and sign a petition that we'll fax to Congress on your behalf. In fact, there are three specific petitions I want you to sign to defend military chaplains who are under fire. The first is to support H.R. 343. This is a bill introduced in Congress by my friend, Congressman Walter Jones of North Carolina, to protect free speech for military chaplains who are sometimes punished if they use the word Jesus in their prayers. Well, if you know my story, you know that I was punished in 2006, uh, even at court martial, because I used the word Jesus in my prayers in uniform in front of the White House. Well, I was later vindicated by Congress who said it's okay for me to do that, but did you know 65 other chaplains are now suing the Navy? I was not the only person. Our second petition I want you to sign is to protect military chapel buildings, which are being desecrated. Christian altars, Catholic or Protestant, are being desecrated by homosexual wedding ceremonies in all 50 states under this order by the Obama administration. Well, that deprives all of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines of a sacred worship space, which ought to be protected. And instead, they're gonna punish the chaplain if he won't turn over the keys to his chapel. Here's another petition I want you to sign, and this is to stop threatening court-martial for troops who talk about Jesus. Even recently, the Pentagon is saying, oh, we're gonna threaten you with a crime of proselytizing. No, that's not right. Any soldier ought to be able to talk about his or her faith in Jesus Christ and to have that same religious freedom of speech that we sacrifice to give for others. When you sign these petitions, we will fax them to Congress and it's free. I want you to take action today. Sign these three important petitions at PrayInJesusName.org. Go there today. Defending your religious freedom, here is Dr. Chaps.
Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. I'm joined again by Bill Federer. This is part two of our historical interview, I think, or at least are talking about American history. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks. So this other book that you wrote is, it sort of reminds me of your website, AmericanMinute.com. And in our first segment, we talked about some of the prayers that presidents prayed, and, and this book is about how God answered some of those prayers, right? Right, my wife has heard me speak for 30 years, and she decided to pick out the best stories. And these are the ones where there's a crisis, they pray, and things turn around. And so it's from the French and Indian War, Revolution, War of 1812. It's interesting that um, James Madison, uh, who is significant as the congressman, he introduced the First Amendment in the first session of Congress. When he becomes the fourth president, the British attack and burn the Capitol. And he has two days of prayer, a day of fasting and prayer. And then these rains came and extinguished the fires. Tornadoes came and knocked off roofs and chimneys on the British soldiers. Lightning flashes, the British flee. Two of their ships were blown ashore. And uh, one British historian said more British soldiers were killed by this stroke of nature than by all the arms the Americans had mustered in the feeble defense of their capital. And uh, So God changed the weather, answered the prayers, we won the battle. Yeah, another is um, uh, the Battle of New Orleans with uh, um, Andrew Jackson. And he prays in the, the big chapel, you know, the St. Louis Chapel down there in uh, New Orleans Cathedral. And uh, on the day of the battle, uh, in January of uh, 1815, 10,000 British troops are marching under cover of fog, sneaking up on Jackson, and right before they get there, the fog lifts. The Americans fire, kill their officers. These the 10,000 British soldiers are in the middle of the field for 30 minutes, and there's no officers to tell them to advance, to retreat. 2,000 of them get killed, only eight Americans. And Andrew Jackson writes to the Secretary of War and saying that, you know, this is the, the hand of Providence has shielded my men from the balls, bombs, and rockets, you know. And, and so, again, an acknowledgement was given to God. The president has a day of thanksgiving, President Madison. And so you look at the um, Civil War. Lincoln had days of fasting and prayer. Uh, you had a cholera epidemic in 1849. 150,000 Americans die of cholera, right? Talking about Ebola maybe coming in. Well, the president, Zachary, and you look at it, 12,000 died on the Oregon Trail, Santa Fe Trail, because of the 1849 California Gold Rush, and people infected with cholera would go up and the infection would get in the water hole, and then the next group would come and drink, and somebody poisoned the water hole. You know? um, and then you had open prayer in the streets of people kneeling in Daytona, I mean, sorry, in Dayton, Ohio, and Cincinnati, and Columbus, and the, um, the president, Zachary Taylor, has a day of fasting and prayer in August of 1849. By the end of the month, the death rate stopped. And then you have um, uh, Franklin Roosevelt had a day of prayer when we entered World War I, uh, even George Patton, the general, had his chaplain, James O'Neill, compose a day of uh, prayer. They printed it on a quarter of a million index cards, and they distributed His Christmas greeting was on the flip side of the card. His men pray. The sky clears the next day. The Air Force is able to give him cover, and they come to the rescue of the 101st Airborne. Uh, the Third Army gets there. Um, and then Nixon had a day of prayer when Apollo 13 was, was uh, you know, having trouble up in space. And we see this amazing history. Uh, I could go on and on, but uh, the book's called Miracles in American History. And it's just uh, fascinating the, when uh, the Continental Congress has a day of uh, prayer 
uh, and uh, Washington at the Battle of Brooklyn Heights, the largest battle of the Revolutionary War. The entire American army is on Brooklyn Heights facing the sea. A British loyalist leads 10,000 British through Jamaica Pass to attack Washington from behind on August 27th of 1776. 3,000 Americans die, only 300 British. The fighting goes on all day and Washington is pinned up against the water. The sun goes down. Now he's really in trouble. Um, the next day he'll probably be hung and the war will be over. But Washington ferries every boat he can find, ferries his men across the East River to Manhattan Island. And uh, the sun begins to come up. Half of his men are still on duty. And so his chief of intelligence is Major Ben Talmadge. And he said, um, those of us remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. And when the dawn appeared, there were several regiments still on duty. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise off the river and, be, and began to settle over both encampments. And he says, the fog was so thick you could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. He goes, I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well. And anyway, so Washington is on the last boat that leaves. The fog lifts. The British charge. No one's there. And Washington later says, the hand of providence has been so conspicuous in the course of the war that he must be worse than an infidel that lacks faith. But there's all these different stories. It's just fascinating to see that we were fighting the most powerful empire that planet Earth had ever seen, the British Empire. Right? The sun never set on it. Control 13 million square miles and a half a billion people. And God is still answering prayers today. Uh, for example, we saw last year, Christian governor of Texas, Rick Perry, said a prayer, called for a statewide day of prayer and fasting when Texas had the worst drought they had seen in years and God sent rain. And you remembered something from Georgia. Don't you think they ought to do that in California this year when their droughts are still happening, but the Democrat Governor Jerry Brown is not issuing a day of prayer and fasting? Yeah, uh, we, we have this tradition where different mayors would have days of prayer and different, the attitude during the colonial times was, when things were bad, you would have days of prayer. When things were real bad, you would have days of fasting and prayer. And when things turned around, you'd have days of Thanksgiving. There's even some instances where they were fasting and then a ship full of supplies pulls into the harbor and they said, cancel the fasting, it's a day of Thanksgiving. You know? <laughs> but it was this personal relationship with God. And um, uh, you, know, you go through the, the history of America and you see these um, very Trinitarian. When there was a threatened war with France, John Adams had a day of fasting and prayer. And uh, France had their reign of terror. Uh, 40,000 people had their heads cut off in Paris. Uh, and meanwhile, in America, we were having a Second Great Awakening revival. And they're starting universities, and the Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians are like having these camp meeting revivals. And so uh, it was uh, John Adams that had a day of fasting and prayer uh, during this period, and it averted the war with France. We're going to take one more short break, and when we come back, Bill's going to talk about the history of the IRS. Who wants to know about that? But it's infecting and, and impacting religious liberty in America today. We'll be right back after this short break with Bill Federer. Making your voice heard in our nation's capital. Dr. Chaps will be right back. As a Christian minister, I believe the Bible, and I believe in spiritual gifts. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the gift of discerning of spirits is available to you the ability to see angels or demons or the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've written two amazing books that I want you to have today. And you can visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org to get either one of these resources. The first is my PhD dissertation on this particular topic. It's called, How to See the Holy Spirit and Angels and Demons. 
Ignatius of Loyola on the gift of discerning of spirits in church ethics. If you want an exciting theology book that's challenging and intellectual, that goes into the classic theology of Ignatius of Loyola, how he was influenced by men like John Cashin and Thomas Akempis, how he influenced later theologians like Carl Rahner and Timothy Gallagher, then you will love this resource, maybe for your pastor, or if you're a counselor, or a serious Bible student, this is a theology book and you're gonna love it. Or maybe you want something more fun. I've also written a different book, which is more of a popular book. Uh, it's called The Demons of Barack Obama, and it applies my theology of discerning of spirits to the 44th president of the United States. I used an article written by my friend David Barton on 50 events in his presidency, and I tried to discover, is he being influenced by the Holy Spirit, or by angels, or by maybe some other spirits? What is behind the president? So if you want a popular book that's fun to read, it's available for $20, or if you want an academic book that could be used for serious Bible students, it's available for $35. Or maybe you want both of these, they're both available for $50. A donation of any amount will go towards sending these books to you. Visit PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org and get both of these resources for your family. Chaps. We're joined again by my dear friend, Bill Federer, Christian historian. He's been on our show a few times, and we're going through the list of 20 books that he's written. I think we're only up to like number five now, which I'm gonna hold up here. It's called Endangered Species, How the ACLU, IRS, and LBJ Threaten Extinction of Free Speech. There's one related to that, The Interesting History of the Income Tax. Now, I'm just gonna guess what these are about, Bill. Um, in 1954, President L, then Senator LBJ uh, wrote the Johnson Amendment, which prohibits Christians or pastors from talking about politics in the church. Is that true or is that unconstitutional? Oh, you're true. Uh, I give a little background to that. So here we have the situation. Um, Constitution forbade an income tax. Article 1, Section 9, the federal government shall lay no direct tax. So how did the federal government pay for itself? tariff taxes on imports and excise taxes on specific things like salt, tea, tobacco. The problem was that the tariff taxes that helped the North hurt the South. And the South had no factories to protect. They just had to buy more expensive stuff from the Northern factories or from Europe because of these tariff taxes. So this was the animosity that led up to the Civil War. Uh, so the federal troops were sent down to South Carolina saying, you've got to collect these tariffs. And the South didn't want to. Anyway, after the Civil War, the South, and by the way, Lincoln pushed through the first income tax in the North to raise $750 million to pay for the war. So no income tax in America until this emergency that Lincoln pushed through. It was repealed in 1873. So no income tax again in America. Back to the tariffs. Well, they passed so many tariffs and they worked. And it provided this cushion because foreign things were so expensive that people bought from American factories and there was this explosion of steel and, and railroads and appliances and farming equipment. And it was the fastest raising of the standard of living in world history. And so you began to free up women from the home and then they had you know clothes manufactured. And, um, and what it also did was create robber barons, right? So people that became in charge and very wealthy and they began to push 
for uh, a centralized banking system and they wanted to sort of concentrate power. And so there was uh, a lot of immigrants that would work in the factories and there was some communist sentiment where Karl Marx came up in the middle 1800s of um, uh, every man according to his ability to every man according to his need. And so the idea of taking from the rich, uh, the rich didn't like this and so they kept trying to get away from it. Finally, uh, Teddy Roosevelt pushes through the first uh, inheritance tax. And then Taft, another Republican, pushes through the corporate income tax. But finally, you get Democrat President Woodrow Wilson. He pushes through the first income tax uh, after the Civil War. It was a 1% tax on the top 1% richest people. And it was just going to tax the Rockefellers and Carnegies. That's why the public didn't uh, object to it, because they weren't going to get taxed. But that was kind of the camel's nose under the tent. Eventually, we're all paying income taxes. Right. And that was FDR. He expanded it. Unfortunately, two things happened. When... Um, Woodrow Wilson pushed through the income tax. Churches were not taxed, and so this was the creation of the 501c3. But the Rockefellers and Carnegies, they didn't want to get taxed, and so they jumped into the church category and started the Rockefeller Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, all these educational foundations. Why? So they could shelter their income but still control it. And then you had communists. They just had the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. They infiltrated into America, and they formed 501c3 educational foundations so they could lobby to overthrow the country. And so that's when Congress began to limit 501c3s, saying you can't pamphleteer an electioneer to overthrow the country. This is in the area of McCarthyism and... Well, this is actually LB 1919, LBJ. but then in, in 1930, uh, they began to do more, and then they limited. Finally, uh, there were some conservative groups that caught on, and there were the Facts Forum, uh, and there was um, the Bunker Hunt family and the, the um, uh, Constant Committee for Constitutional Government, and they wanted to form these educational foundations to influence politics uh, against communists. You have to remember, in the 1950s, 80 million people died in China from the communist Mao Zedong. We've got about one minute left. What did LBJ do? And so these groups were calling LBJ a communist. Oh, no. And LBJ didn't like that, and so he introduced into the Senate to limit 501c3s from endorsing candidates and getting involved in elections. He didn't even think about churches because a couple years later, the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, uh, W.A. Criswell, uh, gives a broadcast sermon on why they should not vote for Kennedy because he was Catholic, right? Um, and the response was Kennedy just goes down and promises the Baptist that the Pope won't tell him how to run America, and they vote for him. But pastors were always involved in politics, and even Martin Luther King Jr. said the church is the conscience of the state. You're supposed but to speak out. Today, and I think you might point to this in your books, the IRS is threatening some pastors, and they just reached a deal last week with the atheists. Yeah, we're going to monitor their sermons to make sure the pastors don't talk too much about politics. What should we do? Well, we need to uh, remind uh, the Congress that the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So the IRS is a creation of Congress, right? So the IRS tax code is, is, some, is a law that are underneath. And so Congress cannot prohibit the free exercise of religion. Otherwise, they are violating the First Amendment. You know, our guest today has been Bill Federer. We are standing for religious freedom on PrayInJesusName.com. Please donate today or call us toll-free at 866-Obey-God. Sign some of our petitions and donate if you can to help us stay on the air. I'm Dr. Chaps. Again, our guest has been Bill Federer, Christian historian. Buy one of his books. They're all available on Amazon. We'll be back on tomorrow's show with more. God bless you in Jesus' name.
Chaplain Klingenschmidt is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy who earned his Ph.D. in theology from Regent University. As a former Navy chaplain, by taking a public stand for freedom of speech and religious expression, and by sacrificing his own 16-year career and million-dollar pension, he was vindicated by the U.S. Congress, who changed the law and restored freedom for military chaplains to pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Chaps not only defended the Constitution, but his petitions have helped change the law in 10 states, restoring freedom to pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Chaps needs your financial support to stay on the air. Would you please send your best donation today? Please visit PrayInJesusName.org to donate online. Or you can mail a check to Pray In Jesus Name Ministries, Post Office Box 77077, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80970. You can also call us toll free right now at 866-Obey-God. That's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Please sign up for our free emails at PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org.